and then you read like their literal tweet from two years ago saying the exact opposite. I mean, it's it's like everyone is it, and this is uh, an insult. It's like everyone has become Lindsey Graham, where it's like, well, what do we think today? And what depends which way the wind's blowing. Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America, available as always on your podcast as well over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting from the snowed-in Austrian capital today and joined as always by my colleague David, who's on a rampage to open up gyms over there in Toronto, Ontario. (laughs) How goes it, David? Oh, man. It's been a long long haul here i mean we're getting this exciting this uh, apparently exciting announcement from doug ford that uh things are going to open at the end of the month so like 50 percent for gyms and restaurants and things like that but it's it's almost as if everyone collectively forgot that this was all supposed to end on the 26th <laughs> so it's like we have this great announcement which is actually we're extending our initial lockdown by five days. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, hopefully they stick to at least the end of the month and there's no other extension. I know that BC, um, they are still in lockdown well into February, but they opened the gyms. So they allowed a caveat for that, which is nice. Um but yeah, it's a, it's a tough go here in Ontario right now, especially in the context of like what everybody else is doing. So the UK is basically rolling everything back. The NHL has just decided that they're no longer going to test asymptomatic people. So they're basically just in the live with it stage um, in terms of how they operate. So the pandemic is essentially over um, in the NHL in terms of how they operate. Uh, most U.S. states are doing the same. I mean, there's no debate about going back to school um, in most Let's states. Hear, uh, you mentioned Boris Johnson in the U.K. Is it okay to play that clip? Because I think it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. small victory in our, in our camp. You hear this, right? So okay. this morning, the cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. (laughs) Big cheer on that one. Man, thank you, UK, for at least giving some shining light, because here in just a couple of weeks, where I am, uh, the government that happens to rule over the territory in which I live um, will be checking vax passes absolutely everywhere and uh, giving you a fine if 
you don't have yours. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a good. It's a good sign. Part of me also thinks that this is. I. I mean, the the backstory for listeners is that Boris Johnson is potentially facing a leadership review, um, because of some shenanigans at Downing Street when there was lockdown and parties that happened and all sorts. It sounded of like ri- fun shenanigans, though. Oh, it did. <laughs> Very speakeasy like. Um, essentially, for for. Folks, it would be like Trudeau or Biden essentially having a party during lockdown and breaking all the rules. Uh, not that other which I'm poli- pretty sure. I mean, obviously Biden was not because it was past his bedtime stuff. Yeah, but I'm sure like staffers and things were. Come on, you're telling me they weren't slamming back Southern Comfort in the West Wing at yeah, some point? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure on. they were. Um, yeah. So part of me thinks that this is just like a well. If I'm on my way out, at least I'm going to fix this before I'm out. I think the indications are that uh, Bojo was able to kind of ward off the attacks. It seems, uh, from what I understood, it was Dominic Cummings who likely leaked a lot of the emails about these parties. Um, It's not confirmed, but that seems to be the consensus. And he's actually backing down a bit, and, and maybe he won out. I don't know. Because you can't just go from one day to the next, say, okay, all this stuff will end starting next week. Interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, because if, imagine if someone like Biden do that. I mean, the CDC people and all the you know bureaucrats, and I mean, everybody would be in uproar. Yep. Which maybe they are. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, but yeah, the, we've got some, you know, normal everyday news that are happening now that are not pandemic related which is uh, very thankful. Uh, We've got some uh, antitrust stuff happening in the U.S. that we can talk about a bit later in the program. Um, But, uh, you know, in terms of of Canada, one thing that you were chatting about a bit before is this entire notion of uh, these ESG goals. And uh, actually, Jordan Peterson had an article in National Post uh, that described this a bit. Uh, He was talking more about, you know, being a university professor in academia but also saying in the growing sort of ESG expectations on businesses, um, essentially are just going to ruin a lot of people's livelihoods. And, uh, I mean, he's not a consumer choice fellow as mm-hmm. of yet, uh, but essentially was <laughs> making very similar arguments that, you know, he would have a fellow. Not that he needs the money, to be honest. No, no, he certainly doesn't. I think he's he's got lots of money. He's quite well off. Um yeah, I don't know what I make of. Uh, I'm I'm not a big Jordan Peterson fan. I know you and I, um, outside of these recordings, have have chatted about that at length. Um, it does feel weird, though, because it's a it is a growing theme where we're seeing academics, whom otherwise they're not conservatives. I mean, Peterson has kind of become a conservative because he's a contrarian. But not because he's actually like a conservative. I at least he wasn't. Um, just becoming more and more uncomfortable in what the how different administrations within the university sort themselves out and qualify candidates and prioritize research and. I think he probably raises some some pretty good concerns just about what is what is driving science, and so long as what's driving science is the truth and correction, 
of previous mistakes, which is really supposed to be the point, then I think we're all good. But, um, I mean, not just according to him. There are many others who line up in this camp as well. It's slowly slipping away from that. Yeah, and there's been a lot of uh, basically eyes on Wall Street and specifically BlackRock. Uh, It's obviously one of the biggest investment firms in the entire country. And um, I think it's Larry Fink who's the head of that. Uh, who has been a driving force, particularly amongst uh, many companies, to focus on ESG and talking about the environment, talking about sustainability goals and, and all of this, and and really has made it so that people are concentrating a lot on that. And there is a Financial Times. I know that um, one of our fellows um, that we've had on the program that we've discussed a lot with, uh, Kimberly Josephson, she, uh, a professor, teaches um, business and <laughs> She's very interested in, you know, a lot of the social posturing of companies. And there was a great article that reminded me of her in the Financial Times about about how Hellman's mayonnaise is being pitched nowadays. It's like, well, you know, this mayonnaise will save the world. It's like, no, it's mayonnaise. It's good for salad and sandwiches, full stop, nothing else. But every product, everything out there, you know, we always have to talk about the environmental impact and how you're helping this and this. And, you know, maybe that's a marketing thing, but it really seems as if it's creeping into the investment stuff as well. And that is probably going to harm consumers at the end of the day. Now, definitely going to make things uh, better, make things uh, probably more expensive, um, especially if we're talking about more inflation, more supply chain crises, yep. uh, which are, are definitely popping up. Well, yeah. And uh, I mean, speaking of supply chain crises in Canada, there's this new trucker mandate. Um where truckers are now required to be vaccinated if they're crossing the border, and I think about 20% of them aren't. And there's really two problems to this, at least from my point of view. Um, So first off is the cost. So if you disrupt 20% of the $1.2 billion of trade that crosses the border each day, that is a lot. Um, And it's a lot, especially considering we already have inflationary pressures, um shelves are becoming more barren i mean it's only going to make that worse and then the second point here is who are we protecting um by this type of of ban um i mean to my knowledge trucking is a relatively solitary job (laughs) you're doing it on your own um you're driving across the border on your own i mean maybe you exchange some paperwork with someone when you offload whatever you're dropping off but um, your exposure to other people is is pretty limited or about as limited as limited as it can be and so I just don't see how this mandate for truckers is worth what we know that the, the cost is going to be and um, I, I chatted about this with BNN here in Canada a few days ago and just said it couldn't come at a worse time um, given everything else that's going on Oh yeah, and I mean the the labor shortage in itself. Uh, there are a couple stories about how a couple trucking companies in the states are actually uh, thinking about hiring teenagers to drive the trucks <laughs> once they turn sixteen <laughs> or eighteen because uh, they're just so desperate to find people. And you know, a lot of these truck drivers, you know, they make way more than I do. And uh, yeah. it seems, you know, whatever, if you're okay with travel and being on the road, yeah, uh, you can kind of do it. it. There's a great interview by the uh, comedian Theo Vaughn. Uh, he interviews a female trucker uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, for, for about an hour in podcast free, uh, free flow form. <laughs> it's actually, 
is it very interesting the whole thing with how the industry works and how people rise up and uh, the whole point about a lot of the truck drivers is, you know, their goal is to own their own cab, own their own truck, yes, yes. their own company, and you have this like entrepreneurial path. And it's like now we're, we're just discussing it in terms of the Vax mandate. It's just where are all the good statisticians and uh, people who are supposed to be crunching these numbers? I don't know if it's just because we've given f- full reign to the uh, public health bureaucrats to make all these rules with zero context or zero input from any other community. I mean, it just kind of shows the problem with, uh, you know, tyranny of experts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. It it almost makes you wish that some of this stuff was voted on. Um, so, I mean... Look at you, sounding full 100% democracy. Well, yeah, but even if just in in Parliament it was voted on, like... Make people, make members of parliament accountable for the consequence. So put it to a vote. Are, you, are, are the liberals actually going to get their whole caucus and either the NDP or the bloc to agree with them? I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. And then maybe it fails. Imagine that the vote, the vote that brings down the government is on truck driver vax status. Well, <laughs> it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't bring down the government because it's not. If I'm. I don't know, I may be wrong here, but it's not budgetary. Um, so it's yeah, not an it'd, automatic... It'd probably be pretty unanimous it, anyway. It's not an automatic trigger of an election if they were to lose it. But anyway, it's... Uh, yeah, it just seems like really bad timing. And it's almost just like people are so divorced from reality that they just maybe don't know. And it's like, oh, yeah, but this is a great idea. And it's like, yeah, but you know this is going to have a disastrous outcome, right? And it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean shelves are empty? It's like, well, maybe if you went to a grocery store, (laughs) you would be able to see firsthand that, like, some of the stuff that you always get is not there anymore. But I don't know. I'll have to ask my butler what he sees at the store when he goes. (laughs) Yes, and and that's kind of the. I mean, this is the thing that I find you know most detrimental in all of the entire pandemic time is. I think we are both people who read a lot. We follow a lot of the news. We're pretty informed, but we're still pretty damn misinformed. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. Yes, and I can only imagine we're not making any strategic decisions when it comes to. Uh, the health or the safety or opening the economy. We don't have any of that that we're in charge of. Uh, but still, a lot of these people who are making these decisions, a lot of questions to be asked. A lot of questions. Um, David, I know we got a lot more coming up. Segment two, uh, let's talk a little bit about China. Let's talk about uh, consumers and products, antitrust, and much more. You guys are listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM, Big Talker, and all over your podcast apps. You can always download one of these brand new podcasting 2.0 applications, either Fountain or Breeze, any of these beautiful things. Load it up with some Bitcoin Satoshis and send them our way using those apps. So, David, a couple things I wanted to uh, get to in segment number two. Uh, There was a bit of a kerfluffle. That happened uh, in the news with our fellow uh, Canadian, uh, my fellow dual citizen, uh, Chamath Palihapitiya. Yeah, 
this certainly caused some uproar uh, across the nets, and uh, we'll get into that discussion. Let me just play his uh, very quick statement, and uh, we can go a little bit about this. This has to do with China, Uyghurs, companies, uh, all of the above. Nobody cares, about, again? No, 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 nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You, you bring it up because you really what? care, and I think what that's nice that cares? you care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you, you a very care? hard. Wait, I'm telling you, you virtually don't care. I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth. Okay, of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. So what's interesting about this is this is from the All In podcast, which I listen to a lot. I subscribe. I listen every week. I think the guys are really interesting. Uh, David Sachs who's on there mm-hmm. as part of the PayPal Mafia. Uh, the, a lot of great conversations about investing in companies. I mean, these are Silicon Valley VC dudes, and. They were talking about whether human rights is something that investors specifically should keep in mind. And Chamath kind of had this contrarian point of saying, well, no one really cares about the Uyghurs. Everybody's just kind of using this. I care more about what's happening in this country. Obviously, you don't hear that in the clip, but he's saying, I care more about what's happening in this country with the police, between minority groups. Uh, And they kind of discussed whether or not China is a dictatorship. Uh, but yeah, do you have any uh, any quick takes on that? Because I know that uh, that went around, and it was probably not the uh, he had a couple of deals that he's trying to put together right now, so that didn't help. I mean, I don't get it. It's not like you it, the the concern about something does not negate concern about something else. It's not a zero sum game here. There's not. It's not like oh well, if you care about the Uyghurs, well then you then obviously you don't care about police brutality. Um, So it just seemed like a weird way for him to try and justify his silence, um, which is just classic NBA nonsense, because the league has just folded um, whenever they've faced any... Um, pushback in regards to China, and two. It... So that was that's an interesting question, by the way. Is it? Do you think that this is coming more from his NBA relationship? Because I believe he he owns the Golden State Warriors. Is it coming from there? No. Do you think it's like the business? Thing, I think it's or, more his or... own business stuff, and this is why I think he tried to lump in Tesla. If you listen, it's a long interview, but he tries to lump in Tesla and. Um, and Apple, which is totally fine, but he does it in a way that's like, well, if it's okay for them, then my comments are not outrageous. Like, I'm not the bad guy. They do business there. And it's like, yeah, but you're also probably trying to do business there. And then, again, those things are not mutually exclusive either. You can sell products to Chinese consumers while also condemning the fact that their unelected government, which those Chinese people did not choose, is committing what appears to be genocide. Um, So just a lot of, like, what was supposed to be a very nuanced opinion on Chamath's side just came across as very ignorant. And then it got worse, where he was basically like trying to cherry pick various moments to suggest that maybe the maybe a genocide is not happening basically saying well so i have i have um a clip as well about he's questioning whether it's a dictatorship i actually have that. yeah okay yeah. so I, again i'm not I, I i i'm not even sure that that it that china is a dictatorship the way that you want to call it that again i think communist that un- country that's in the name look you have to understand jason there are a set of checks and balances here 
on China that, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that I have the moral absolutism to judge China. And I would say that when NATO is silent, the United Nations is silent, all of Western Europe is silent, and America is effectively silent, that this issue may be small data points being extrapolated in a way to create a narrative that may be not be true. And if it is true, Jason, there is a responsibility for those body politics to do something because that is the early warning signal that the rest of the world uses to say, okay, hold on, let me reprioritize my list of things. So I guess what I'm saying is I am not going to be an armchair journalist on this topic, nor am I going to be the armchair human rights advocate for the world, because I just don't know. I can focus on the things that I know about, build the things that I know about, and if something really does get red light status, then other parties will do something. And again, I just want to be clear. NATO is silent. United Nations is silent. America is silent. A press release doesn't change the actual technical posture on these topics. Okay. So I think he definitely knows, you know, all this stuff. And he's not a, he's not a right-wing dude. You know, he's, he's actually fairly uh, center-left on many different things. It, it does feel as if he's just being very cautious. I, he doesn't do a lot of uh, consumer products, as far as I understand, with his deals and companies and things like that. I mean, maybe, who knows, at the end of the day. Uh, but it is true, you know, today there are a lot of people, especially if you're in you know, sales of mass products, most of the time they are produced in China and it seems like a growing number of them are done in many of these camps. Well, yeah, and you sh- that should certainly be something that you that you do care about. I mean, we're talking about forced labor and the internment of a religious minority. But what I hate there is his shirking of responsibility as if, well, if NATO doesn't care, why do I care? Which, again, seems so much like, well, if someone else is also stupid, it's okay for me to be stupid. Or if someone else... It's, it's like the inverse of like the, the, the parent scolding the child and saying, why did you do that? And they'd be like, well, Jimmy did it. And it's like, well... well it's like, well, the, the health minister hasn't told me I should stop eating McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay... You, this like l- radical level of agnosticism um, on this issue would be fine if it was applied to everything else with him. But it obviously certainly is not. We've featured his comments on all sorts of issues, um, and 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 if it wasn't so awkwardly linked to some of his other interests, whether it be the NBA, yeah. business dealings, etc. Mm-hmm. And I mean. I don't know. It's it's just such a shame that in that world, the only person who has the gusto to say anything seems to be Ennis Cantor of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And obviously, any of these situations invites uh, the worst of reactions from p- certain people, uh, particularly the, the people that you uh, don't like or you disagree with. I saw t- uh, Senator Tom Cotton um one of the most undistinguished members of the oh, U.S. Senate. Just a truly detestable figure. So he was uh, took his time. You know, there's there's actually a lot of bills that are being discussed uh, right now in the U.S. Senate, particularly when it comes to antitrust and the future of you know I don't know Amazon Prime and uh, Google and all this stuff. Uh, he wanted to go on TV and talk about this and say that the NBA uh, should kick him out as an owner and all of this. And it's like, I mean, I understand you want to use this for outrage, but like put it in a fundraising email. And, like, don't waste our precious time as news consumers 
or his citizens with some of this malarkey because it I just this is the thing that so many topics that we're discussing or that David you and I follow or that we write about you know we'll take a very nuanced and measured approach we'll kind of study both sides figure out what's politically feasible how we can best pull things and then there's an overreaction from someone who tangentially agrees that just makes everything absurd i think that's what's so upsetting about much of the debate and conversation particularly in the media yeah yeah oh it's a strange world out it is yeah yes indeed (laughs) It's like, what do you, what do you, it is a strange world out there. I mean. Yeah. So David, real quick, um, I do have a question for you. Yeah. Let's hear it. Let me ask a rhetorical question. No, I won't. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I took this from uh, President Joe Biden's um, two hour long press conference uh, that he gave uh, in, in Putin style. Um, you know, kind of making it open and answering all types of questions, uh, all types of blunders and follies and strange things and uh, things that people were pouncing on, uh, particularly when it comes to Ukraine and, and Russia. And, and I know that you had mentioned another one. I will say that uh, this is one thing that the this being um, common now or more common is something that we have to thank Trump for the open floor for more than an hour. Uh, I think that this should be a requirement for all world leaders is that you should have to face the music in a way that's not like, oh, who do I, do I ask the nice journalists and then do I ignore their questions and then be like, okay, that's enough for today, bye. (laughs) Which seems to happen more and more. Um, Or can you hold the floor? So good for, good for Uncle Joe to, to, to take the heat like that, um, not particularly impressed with what he said. Um, the response in regards to Russia, I mean, the Russia stuff is is difficult because it's like, well, if they invade Ukraine, was the U.S. supposed to do go to war? And it's like, I don't know, but at the same time, let's not pretend that China isn't watching what happens here and evaluating what to do about Taiwan. Um, yeah. So it's like it's a weird precedent where if you just let Russia have its way uh, in Ukraine, you could be opening Pandora's box to, for something uh, similar to happen in the Pacific. And I don't know. It, this it, I feel like we're in the 1930s. Um, the parallels are not all there, but. I feel like we're in the 1930s. We have a genocidal regime hosting the Olympics. Um, we have possibility of invasion, invasions of other countries from hostile states. Um, yeah, not good. Not good. Uh, yeah, an article I saw, uh, I believe, in the Washington Post. China warns foreign Olympic athletes against speaking out on politics at the Winter Games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, not uh, Actually, good. Uh, I, I'm saying good luck more to the athletes. Like, good luck. Don't. Who knows yeah, what don't. Happened. Yeah, I do not recommend but, but you for do the, that. For the Biden thing, yeah, and, and here's the kind of thing. It's it's this strange, strange world where he was in the Senate for years, and foreign policy was his main game. 
and he's abdicating that. And that's what I think is very confusing for a lot of people who are in the know, uh, people who are fairly new to politics or just, you know, kind of listen for domestic policy stuff. It's like, eh, whatever. But like, what's the vision for U.S. power abroad? You know, why am I watching the SEAL teams show and they're going all over the world, you know, doing all these missions? What's it all for? Because it doesn't seem like maybe I should stop paying, you know, all my federal income tax that goes to this stuff because it seems like nobody knows what to do. But it's like, what is America's role in the world under President Joe Biden? Who knows? I mean, this is, I guess, the problem of just running on not being Trump is that it leaves a lot of questions as to who you are. Um, And I think that's probably part of the reason why, for the most part, the numbers look so bad for Joe right now. Uh, A lot of people are talking about if he runs again, can he win? Right now it doesn't look like it. The Dems are setting up to get slaughtered in the midterms. Maybe the Republicans retake the House, and it's like, this is dark times for the Democrats. They better figure this out and figure it out quick um yeah i don't know we're, we're running out of time here we gotta head to back to commercial um but i'd be interested uh when we do return to hear your take on like what's next for the democrats is there a way out of this like how do they actually recover and not have this impending doom kind of forced upon them but anyway when we come back Yes, perfect. We'll be right back here on Consumer Choice Radio. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we are back on Consumer Choice Radio. So before we went to break, Yael, I was talking about the Democrats and what is next. Um, What's your take here? Is there a path forward? Like, can cooler heads prevail? Can they prevent what appears to be a pretty pretty big set of, of electoral losses um, I mean even so much so that that op-eds are being published in the New York Times saying that it's time for Hillary to come back um, it's a strange world out there yeah it's it's a t- I don't know I don't know well I'm I, I think for that and in terms of election there's different ways to look at it. I'm thinking more about what are the what are the things that they're going to be introducing in certain legislative chambers that will impact your life, yeah. And how are they going to use that for the elections for everything else? And and the thing that Biden mentioned in there is the uh, Build Back Better bill, uh, which had absolutely everything in it that you know you can find under under the sun. He's like, oh, which you know, is it's probably a good idea to to break it up, and uh, you know, we'll do it that way. It's like, well, why didn't you do that in the beginning <laughs> instead of wasting all of our time? Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure. I think a lot of people, there's going to be another issue that's brought up, uh, you know, sometime before the elections, as is always the case. And I think these things run on a cycle. So something will happen with abortion at the Supreme Court or there'll be some shooting or something gun rights. So I think a lot of people will forget a lot of this early fumbling. And while there will be a segment of the population that still cares about Afghanistan and the withdrawal and how that was handled or whatever's happening with uh, the Carol Baskins virus that's taken over our life for, you know, the past two years. Yeah. I think think there's still, there's going to be other stuff that's going to come up, which is kind of unfortunate 
because if we held the election today, I think there you could actually have like a pretty pretty good upstart. And I don't know. I I've been in this game too long, David, following along. I'm, this is the thing. I don't know how people who have been following politics for decades like still tolerate it. Yeah. When you listen to the hypocrisy, I mean, just following the stories about this filibuster deal. Oh my goodness. And and saying it is like imperative that we get rid of the filibuster, and then you read like their literal tweet from two years ago saying the exact opposite. I mean, it's it's like everyone is it, and this is uh, an insult. It's like everyone has become Lindsey Graham. Where it's like, well, what do we think today? What depends which way the wind's blowing. Is that a and good title like, for our for this episode? Is everybody's Lindsey Graham? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's it. And it's it's just wild that one they get away with it, right? And now Twitter's been pretty good because you can recall all these old tweets and be like, wait a second, <laughs> that's not what you said that not that long ago. Like we're not talking like twenty years. We're talking two years. So add, um, added to that, just a, a a quick not consumer corner, but a thing that I really appreciate on today's social media sphere. There is an industry of people who most let's face it are mostly bearded white guys like us that will make a lot of threads on Twitter. Yes, where the, you pull in, you know, exam, you know, crazy tweets, or you know, look, look at what they actually said about this. I actually love these. Yeah. Defiant uh, L's is one yeah, of the best ones. If there was a way, because a lot of people do very long threats, if there was a way to separate these out and just follow them individually, I'd love it. So there's a couple of guys, there are some guys who do some on, you know, Bitcoin things or some that's just news commentary. And a few of them, when they do it, they're like, blah, 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 this. And they're like, hey, if you like my threads, uh, I've got my, you know, Bitcoin donate button. And you can hit oh, that. Yeah. And I actually, every time someone mentions it, I do. I send oh, nice. them a little bit of sats. Nice. Nice. Because they're providing yeah, they're... value. You know, it's yeah. way better than the other garbage I see on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are actually quite a few accounts, um, not necessarily on the thread side, but just on, like, the accountability side, um, who it seems like they just spend all day digging up old tweets that contradict new tweets from the same people. And I live for that. I love that stuff. Yeah, there's a good audience for it. And I, I don't know how you break that out and make something separate. Because uh, I'd love to just read. Maybe there's a Reddit, a subreddit that deals with that. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but this, in the Trump this, era. This kind of thing is the accountability of the 24-hour news cycle, which is the problem, is that no one is held accountable for any of the bull that they said, uh, even... Six months ago, damn. Well, I mean, this is the thing: is that every uh, every radio hit, every television um, interview should start with, "Why were you in favor of this two years ago, and why are you opposed to it now?" And if you don't get an answer, that should be the follow up question. And if you if they still don't answer, that should be the follow up question. There should be no weaseling out of this. If if I am unabashedly uh, pick a policy, pro-electoral form today, and in six months I'm unabashedly against electoral form I, I, reform, I should have to answer for that first before I answer anything else. 
Um, and yet, this, so this, this, is, a, is, this just... is a good question for you, uh, David, because uh, you will be appearing on uh, the television uh, up there in Canada this week. Uh, you'll be hosting a program. You can tell us more about that. Uh, but would there be a circumstance, like if there was a pundit test to where someone could point to your public sa- statements and you said at some point, uh, we should do X, and now you say the complete opposite? Is, do you think there would be anything documented that you've said, uh, at, at least in your professional career, with you you know, wearing a tie <laughs> or something? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, there would probably be uh, areas where people would ask for more clarification, um, but I don't think I've blatantly contradicted myself publicly on anything. Certainly, if you go back far enough um, to younger me, there, I disagree with me. I mean, we talked about this with Mark Sanford when he was on the program. There are things that I disagree with of opinions I held six, seven, eight years ago. Um, so I think some of my views have maybe evolved, but then again, where they have evolved, I'm not really like talking on the radio or television about. So like foreign policy is one area where my views are a little different than maybe what they were 10 years ago. Um, so if I was public and writing about that, then there may be some, points where I would be having to answer why my views have changed. Um, But I'd be able to do that. And that's the thing, is that most of these politicians can't explain why they want to get rid of the filibuster today, but didn't want to two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, the pundit test is a good one. I I think this should be a private initiative. I know there are some uh, so-called watchdogs that try to do this, you know, news busters or media watchers or something like this. Uh, but it kind of, not just a politifact, you know, for checking people's comments and where they've, uh, you know, let's say they've they've fibbed a bit, uh, but more of like if you're a person who gets paid to go on television or to provide your commentary in, you know, written form, if you are so wrong, if you miss the mark so much, you should somehow just not be able to do that anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, this, that reminds me of the old Ron Paul quote, where he's like, the people who the people who lied about weapons of mass destruction are the same people who said that Iraq would be a cakewalk. Why are we still listening to these people who were wrong both times? And it's a good question. It's like, if you're track wreck, I mean, if you're a stock picker and your batting average is horrific eventually people just stop listening to you but in the world of punditry um that doesn't seem to be the case uh there there are a lot of people who've held on to these fairly established and prominent positions despite the fact that they are always always wrong yeah and you know there's Obviously, we're in this kind of industry of, uh, you know, providing analysis or opinion uh, in certain popular media. And and obviously, when the market is crowded, again, with a lot of bull, uh, it makes it harder for you to actually cut through <laughs> to cut through it all. And maybe that's the whole point. And, uh, you know, I'll go a bit Noam Chomsky here, if that's okay. permissible. Sure, Nicole. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear your Noam. If if I go to the Noam Chomsky and I'm thinking about, you know, media concentration and ownership, 
the actual and it's a bit Marshall McLuhan to go a bit Canadian. Like what people actually say on TV and you know in popular media doesn't really matter. What matters is kind of the reaction and what purpose it serves. If I take the Noam Chomsky route, it's oh well, people become outraged at CNN. People watch it more. Uh, sponsorship goes through the roof. They make more money. The capitalists win. They win no matter what. <laughs> and you know the Marshall McLuhan kind of view on it is like, well, you know, people are on TV and they're they're talking. It's a hot medium. It's all blah 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 all day. It's going to happen anyway. But I think that you know that kind of plays a part of it because it's not about skill, and that's like that's one thing about a pundit is that there's no skill you know that makes you better than others. If we just say he's got really good analysis, it's like well, according to whom? Because yeah. this person probably thinks it's amazing and glorious, and this person thinks it's absolute garbage. Well, yeah, I, but I think part of this goes back to the the fact that we don't. Like, we don't really know how to disagree anymore. Like, we don't have these intellectual conversations publicly anymore in the same way that we maybe used to, um, where people disagree but do so cordially and thoroughly. Um, I don't really see... I mean, if I turn on both Fox or CNN, I'm not seeing much of any nuanced disagreement um on a particular subject and so it just becomes that like multiplier echo chamber effect and i i mean that's i think very unhealthy um the from walls a are closing in David. the walls are closing <laughs> oh boy actually yeah the people who also do super cuts uh should also accept tips because uh, i think <laughs> these are very i think matt taibbi actually hired a guy just to do super clips oh. for his for his site, which I think is great. So good, so good. Um, Walls are closing, and there's there's so many others. Um, I did not follow uh, too much of this NPR story about masking up at the Supreme Court. Uh, I I followed some of the fall. Did you see that at all? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Um, I don't get it. I don't know why. Basically, Sotomayor Meyer, Sotomayor, Sotomayor. She can't, um, she's, she is, uh, at risk because she has a, a pre-existing condition. She has and diabetes Go- or something. Yeah. And Gorsuch wouldn't wear a mask and they sit next to each other. So she had to tune in remote. And that's, that just felt incredibly petty when I read that. And I know that there was, there were originally a lot of hoopla about Gorsuch, but generally speaking, He's been a pretty reasonable dude. Well, David, I got to stop you. I think you fell into the trap. Did I? So is that not what happened? Am I? Did I just regurgitate? You did. Oh, no. (laughs) Your pundit card is taken. Oh, no. You got me. You got me. (laughs) So essentially, there were two different statements. One was put out jointly by Gorsuch and Sotomayor. And another one put out by John Roberts. And they both said, yeah, sorry, this never happened. No one oh. was asked to wear a mask and didn't. And then John Roberts came out and said, yeah, sorry, I never told anybody to wear a mask or do whatever. People are free to do what they want. And uh, the original reporter at NPR who reported this, Nina Totenberg, uh, was trying to stick by her story, uh, but pretty much got butt slammed. Yeah, but so do they issue a retraction? No. 
they are yeah. still defending the report that was based on anonymous sources. Yeah, but see, this is a dangerous game, and we've seen this time and time again. I generally think it's a good thing. It's a dangerous game because at, at many points, um, these these news outlets end up getting sued. Now, they're probably not going to get sued for getting it wrong in this instance. They get sued, and they have to settle because they double down, and they will not retract um, false stories or comments. And it's like there is a I, there's got to be an obligation. Um, there's got to be an obligation there to 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 rectify that. But anyway, Yael, it has been another great week, um, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, more great episodes and some great guests coming up. Until then. <laughs>